today, in honor of my dear and beloved friend Mackie, we're heading into the misunderstood world of the carnival. This is for you, fam. I love you like no other. You're the best. Happy belated birthday. So what do you think of when you think of carnivals? Unsafe rides that you get to go on anyway. Ferris wheels, tickets and tokens, lots of unhealthy food, kids galore, games you could never actually win but you keep trying to anyway. And the people who work there, which we judge based on stories and stereotypes. Carnies. Oh, the carnies also known as a showy down under in Australia. This term along with the slang that comes with it, yes, there's a whole language, started becoming popular around 1931 in North America. The slang is actually pretty fun. So here's a few. We got going south, which means stealing money, and that mainly comes from the fact that like when you take the money it goes south into the apron of the worker, which I think is interesting. Swing means to steal money from your boss. A mark is a rather common term now, or at least to those of us that watch way too many crime shows. Um, it's being someone that you pick as being a victim to swindle. Lugan means a really dumb mark. <laughs> like you're not just like enough to be a mark, like you're really dumb. Oh, and this one is great. Lot lice. That's right. Lot L-O-T, lice, like you're scratching your head. Those are people who arrive to the carnival early, walk around all day, leave really, really late, and they don't even spend any money. Now, I don't really know how you can spend an entire day just wandering around a carnival without spending any money or doing anything. I feel like that would be like super, super boring. Like back when we were in school and everyone's like, let's just go hang out at the mall. No, nobody wants to do that, it's stupid. A slum or a hooch are cheap prizes that are bought in bulk, you know, like the ones that you wind up spending $40 to get but only cost them $1. Yep, those ones. Oh, this one's really fun. Alagazam, that's true. Ala Gazam, it's a greeting amongst the carnies, and I have no idea why it is that, like why that's a thing, but clearly now I really want to use it to greet everybody. Agent is the person that's working the games. A cowboy is a troublemaker. The doghouse is not what you think it is. It's actually the booth where the people that are controlling the rides sit. And joing, that's right, joing, like join with a G, joing. Joing <laughs> means to fix a game so that no one can win. So, you know, like basically all of them. <laughs> but anyways, you get the point. It's fun. They have their own language. They have their own lingo. They're kind of their own culture. But how did carnivals ever come to be? Well, let me tell you. Carnival is usually linked to the medieval era and roughly translate to meaning um, say goodbye to the flesh. Now, that's not in like a really gross, nasty way, like, like a Jeffrey Dahmer way. It sounds really gross, but it actually is religious. Um, so kind of like how Mardi Gras came to be, it's associated to Lent for the most part. Um, both were originally, at least. And it's the latest, um, it's like the last way that you can have a like fun, sin-filled night to live in indulgence before having to like go give up things like meat, 
alcohol, other vices, etc. for the whole Lent season. It became a way to enjoy like all the things you would not be able to soon, do it all in one night and get over with. Well, Mardi Gras and Carnival in Brazil, they are the same type of thing, but they last for longer than like a day or night, like a carnival. I guess carnival is really like, if they're traveling around, they're probably not there for just one day. But when they originally started, it was like a night of festivities to like get all of your sin out. (laughs) Um, Mardi Gras actually started in 1699 when Oberville and Bineville landed in what is now New Orleans. Like, literally, when they got off the boat, they started to party. It, to me, I think it's like, speaks super a lot to the heart and the culture of that city, as it is today as well. The, um, the traveling carnivals that we now know started to coming to be in the late 19th century at the World's Fair in Chicago. The actual title of the world, the fair, like the whole title, is World's Fair Midway Park, which is a lot to say, so obviously people just call it like the World's Fair. And one of the first huge attractions there was the OG Ferris Wheel. It was created by George Washington Ferris Jr., and that is his actual name, even though there's like a lot to it. But the original Ferris Wheel was like huge, gigantic. Um, It's over 100 feet taller than the replica that is now at Navy Pier currently, which is really fun if you're ever in Chicago, which you should be because it's a beautiful city. It's one of my favorite cities. Um, The Ferris wheel there is really pretty, and you get, like, this gorgeous view of the city, and it's, I mean, just go to Navy Pier, too. There's lots of good food and, like, drinks, and you can just walk around. It's really, really fun. Um, But this original Ferris wheel from the World's Fair was 250 feet in diameter, and it had a six, I mean, a 71 ton, ton axle on it. It was actually made up, the original one was more like what looks similar to like train cars. And they actually had alcohol in every single one. And it was really more of a ride for the adults than for children, which I found really interesting. I think that I would still go on that ride. Um, also super important about the World's Fair is the most infamous serial killer in American history, in my personal opinion, H.H. Holmes started murdering women, um, like hundreds of women, during this time period. It was really easy for him to do it because so many people were looking at, like, the, like, the revolution, trying to, like, go up to Chicago for this, like, innovation, like, all this craziness, like, this World's Fair and all the big deal it was. So women were going out on their own a lot more than they used to. And it was easy for him to, like, take them because their families didn't necessarily know that they were missing. But um, that's, like, a whole other series of podcasts that we can dive into at another time. (laughs) Carnivals started to evolve, including, um, and they started to, like, include things like the Tunnel of Love, which was originally a ride called the Old Mill, and it was just supposed to be like this kind of scary tunnel where you didn't really know what was going on inside. And um, but people started using it to make out in <laughs> because back then it was really frowned upon to for like PDA like and stuff like that, or they were doing it with people they weren't supposed to be associating with. So they caught on and changed the name to match it, and they even started putting stuff inside of it. Like, um, 
like Willy Wonka, if you will, for some reason that's what it reminds me of. Like inside that tunnel when they're there, they would put like, you know, pictures of hearts and like all this kind of stuff in there to kind of match the whole like love thing. But um, one of the first like moving picture kind of things, it was like a puppet lighting show, started at roll at not at roller coasters, it started at carnivals. Roller coasters started at carnivals and they would start adding in things like monsters, scary, um, like scary rooms or houses, like haunted houses type stuff, mirrored rooms or houses and so on. And eventually carnivals became what we know them like now in America and what may you ask, were the top foods at these ama- at the amazing World's Fair in Chicago? Well, here's what they were. They were hot dogs, hamburgers, cotton candy, good old Dr. Pepper, yellow mustard, not joking, and ice cream cones. So you can thank the World's Fair for all of those yummy deliciousnesses and bringing them really to the forefront. I think it's very interesting that yellow mustard was like made popular by a fair because now I can't imagine like people not using it on like a hot dog or a hamburger or a corn dog which I also associate with carnivals or amusement park stuff. Alright so real talk, carnies have a bad reputation and many times it's because of a certain group of people that we assume work there. It's not always the case but many times we associate them with um, like gypsies, addicts, whether it's drugs or alcohol or both, criminals, and so on. And personally, whenever I think of carnies now, I think of like one of the, well, I guess it's like the second real bad guy from Heroes because they were all in a carnival and it had like all the people like the bearded lady and the tattoos and all that kind of stuff. So I always think of carnivals like that now, I guess, because I love that show and I'm sad that it's gone. But um, while it can be the case that some of those types of people do work at carnivals, most people who work in the environment are drawn to it for a lot of it's for like the freedom and the sense of community that they get there. I mean, they even have their own language. So obviously it's a it's a whole different culture than what we normally would expect from that. They get to travel around, spend like not a whole lot of money on housing because they either have trailers or they'll put up a bunch of tents and they all will sleep in the tents as they go they spend time with a big group of people who all seem to like really truly understand each other and it keeps them from being complete nomads or backpackers because a lot of them want that kind of lifestyle they're like the moving around kind of lifestyle and this gives them the option to do it but it's hard work i mean those rides don't build themselves so it's not like just any joe schmo can like do this job it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of effort And so on the flip side of like the whole criminal thing, criminals and felons wind up on this trail as many other places won't hire them. And a lot of carnivals actually require background checks and like drug and alcohol screening now in order to work for them. So I think that should make you feel a little bit better about where you're going and bringing your children to them. I mean, is like with anything, there's always going to be like a good and a bad side to everything. So be sure, like, if you go to a carnival or amusement park and it looks like super rundown and shabby, if it just looks shady, if you don't even want to eat the food there, probably don't want to be there. Just go. You might find yourself in a tough spot with a carny, much like Elizabeth Van Meter, Jocelyn Alsup, and Athena Hobson did in early 2019 of this year. 
The James H. Drew Exposition was traveling in northeast Tennessee putting on carnivals when James Michael Wright started a killing spree, which wound up naming him as a serial killer. On March 17, 2019, Elizabeth Van Meter, 22 years old at the time, was reported missing in Carter County by her caretaker, who said that she had been gone since February 28th. That's a long time to be gone, guys. And that she had left with a man that she barely knew. All right, so just personal side note, if I am missing for more than a couple days, please go to the police. That is almost three weeks. Okay, I'm not great with math. What is that? It's, well, yeah, I mean, it's two and a half weeks. That's a long time. And to be gone with someone she barely knows, come on. If I leave with some guy I barely know, make sure I'm keeping in contact. And so according to Van Meter's sister-in-law, she tended to hang around the local carnival and actually wound up starting a romantic relationship with James Wright, who maintained like the ponies. He did like the pony rides. On March 8th, 2009, 17-year-old Jocelyn Alsup was reported missing from Cobb County. Now, Alsup's father worked at the North Georgia State Fair, which was also a James H. Drew exposition facility. And she met right there and also began a romantic relationship with that 22 year 20 he was 23, the 23-year-old. She was 17. For a traveling man, he was not just good with these ponies, it would seem. He must have been like a big charmer to be able to talk so many various females into being involved with him when he was a stranger. But I mean, I've always said, like, everyone's a stranger until you meet them, so I guess, you know, whatever. On March 21st, Athena Hobson was reported missing from Johnson City. And family members informed the police that they last saw Hobson leave with Wright in his truck on March 17th. See, this is a better timeline. That's only four days, okay? Four days of being missing. I mean, I know they normally want you to wait at least the 24 hours or whatever. I think some places it's even 48 now. But four days, I feel like that's very reasonable. So they told the police she got in a car with some guy named Wright, um, and that was the last time they saw her. They believed from what she had been saying or what he said that Wright had hired Hobson to clean his mobile home in Washington County, Virginia. But when she never came back, they went to the police. So this sent investigator Joe Janes of the Johnson City Police Department into action. They contacted the Washington County Police Station and set things in motion to find Wright, be able to interview him, and eventually, like, really the main goal was to find out where Hobson was. When they found Wright, he was not exactly where they expected him to be. He was laid up in the hospital after driving his truck across traffic and slamming into a school bus. He is, just sounds more and more like a winner every time I, like, hear more about him. So this was the first step in discovering the truth behind this pony boy. The police distrusted this shady asshole so much they decided to get a warrant to search the truck that Hobson was last seen getting into with him. When they were searching this totaled truck, because it was totaled in this accident, they found Hobson's cell phone. And they also decided it was time to go um, visit Wright's home. He was there because he had gotten released from the hospital, but he was in a wheelchair, so he rolled his way to the front door. He was still recovering from that accident. And Wright was still insisting that he dropped Hobson back off in Johnson City, and whatever happened to her 
it was not on him. She must have just dropped her cell phone in his truck. He willingly allowed the police to come in and search his room. He must be like super thinking he doesn't have anything to hide. But what they didn't find any more proof that Hobson was there, but they found something that would bring the FBI and the U.S. Marshals into it. What they found belonged to Elizabeth Van Meter. Now, this is in Virginia, and Van Meter went missing in Tennessee. So they hadn't realized what they had found just yet. So they got back into cell phone range because he lives out in the sticks, and they called Carter County Police to see what the deal was. It was then that they found out that Van Meter had been missing for a while as well. So warrants were drawn up, and they headed back to his mobile home to search the property. On the property, they found two bodies who were later identified as Jocelyn Olsup and Elizabeth Van Meter. They still had no clue where Athena Hobson was. Finally, realizing that he was busted, Wright admitted to killing all three young ladies. Of course, I mean, he claimed that they were all accidents, right? Because I believe that, like, maybe, maybe one, maybe. But three accidents where you're murdering people? Come on, bro. Wright claimed to have shot Van Meter by accident after they got into an argument. Then he buried her body out back and went on with his life like he hadn't just murdered another human being. Then he was in the woods with Alsep, and after they had sex, he claimed to have been trying to shoot an animal but shot her instead. Whoops! She didn't even get buried though. He legit just covered her body with logs next to a creek and didn't look back. Hobson and he were on a walk where he tripped and fell making his gun go off and shot her. She also didn't get buried. Wright put her body in the back of his truck and it fell out of his truck while he was going over a bridge and fell into the Fork Holtzen River. To this day, Hobson's body has not been found. Now, due to the nature of Wright's work with the traveling with the carnival, the FBI and the U.S. Marshals helped to investigate everywhere the James H. Drew Exposition had traveled to to ensure that there were no other missing women who could possibly be associated to him. And luckily, they did not find any other possible victims. They found the gun used to murder Elizabeth Van Meter, Jocelyn Alsup, and Athena Hobson, and he was charged with three counts of capital murder, three counts of use of a firearm in a commission of a felony, and finally, three counts of disposing of a body. Like, what a huge bag of tools. Seriously. So many carnivals and carnies may be perfectly harmless, but nobody thought this douchebag was a criminal either, and I hope they fry him. Speaking of fried stuff, one of my favorite carnival and amusement park delicacies are funnel cakes. So much yum. This delicious puffy fried dough concoction dates back also to medieval times, but Persian. Many yeast-risen um, foods started there in Persia and then spread over to England. But specifically, the Pennsylvania Dutch brought what was then called a Dretschderkur. <laughs> I think that's a, I mean, obviously, I don't speak Dutch. Dretschderkurch, I think, over to America. And they revamped it in the late 1800s to become the baking powder version that we now know and love. 
it's really not that hard of a recipe. Most doughs really aren't like, but it's mix up some eggs, milk, water, and vanilla. Then toss in an already mixed up blend of flour, sugar, baking powder, and salt to that and beat it until it's smooth. Then just drizzle it all crazy like so it has funky and do circles and like motions and get it all in there into the hot oil. Make sure the oil's hot first. You don't want to do it, it, it's a mess. Don't do that. Always have the oil hot before you put anything into it to fry. And you like cook it up until it's golden brown. Top that bad boy with some powdered sugar and go to town eating it. There is actually like a tool you can use. You can buy it and it's almost like, um, it's like a funnel but it has like a little can kind of thing on the top of it and you pour the dough in there and there's like a trigger. Like you can push down, like I think it's like a thumb trigger and it opens like the, the bottom of the funnel so you can like pour it out like that. If you ever go to a lot of the places that have it very open, you can see them making it. It's pretty cool. Um, but you can also use the original way they did it and just use a funnel hence the funnel cake, and just use your finger to like make sure like you stop it and stuff like that. You can also use a Ziploc bag cutting the tip of like the corner off if, um, if you don't have a funnel. You do you, just pick whatever works for you. You can even find like the OG funnel cake recipe in an old English cookbook from 1935. And they suggested adding jelly on top of the funnel cake as well. And I guess like it kind of seems a little bit like a waffle, a little bit, a little way. It's delicious and um, way less healthy for you than a waffle, but still. So funnel cakes aren't just popular here in the States though. In Germany, they call it a Streibel and a Strauben in Austria. In Finland, it's served during May Day celebrations and is known as a Tipalepa. Over in Slovenia, it's called a flankati, and you can even find them in Lithuania under the pseudonym Skruzdreldias. <laughs> to an extent, they kind of remind me of like sopapillas as well, I guess because it's just like fried dough with powdered sugar. Oh, well in that regard, beignets are similar too. Um, basically, what I'm telling you is that I like uh, taking dough and frying it and then eating it. So, you know, whatever. Judge me or whatnot. My research for this episode came from a variety of sources. Wikipedia, duh, of course. The Noville News Sentinel, CBS, and the articles The Untold Truth of Carnivals by Ranny Baker and Carnies Reveal Their Lives, Not All Fun and Games by Anna Cherry. Man, now I really want to go out and eat something bad for me. And I happen to be in Tennessee right now in Memphis, so I can probably go find something right up that alley but I think the barbecue sounds like a wiser choice. <laughs> All right, kids. Have a killer weekend, y'all, and I'll talk at you soon. Fork You is written and produced by me. If you want to show me some love, look on down there and give me a little five-star action. You can also head over to my Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you can become a donator. Want to stay up to date with me? Follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Fork You the Pod. Stay fabulous, go out this weekend, and get forked up. <laughs>